Hey, Barry. Hey, Al. What do you call a beehive in the Underdark? I don't know. A bee holder. It's time for Compelled Jewel. <laughs> everybody and welcome back to compelled duel i'm al and i'm barry and we are a single player co-dm'd actual play dungeon and dragons fifth edition podcast last time on compelled duel ferora valsine had a very harrowing day to say the least after a very unpleasant confrontation with her father the archduke morland valsine she reached out to her magic tutor and adoptive mother, Alasha Dakarin, for help with getting out of the country and over across the sea to the nation of Vogvoldor, where she had been told that there was a possibility that her brother might be headed after escaping the sovereign principalities of Tordun. She gathered her party, um, Fen's back. <laughs> Fen's back, baby! And you all ended last session getting on a boat and going across the sea. And the time before that, Lero Valsine spent two months under the protection of the Order of the Golden Tusk, courtesy of his uh, a friend and companion, Zed Stonebloom's mother and stepmother. He figured out some interesting things about how he may be able to covertly enter back into Australia and get his throne, as long as he can get to a hidden portal that he discovered the location of just outside of the Volduran city of Gimtarum. And uh, things got a little impulsive with Zed. And for once, it wasn't Leo that was being impulsive. Nope, nope. <laughs> um, and he has a bone dog now, which is neat. Um, <laughs> Dexter, he's a good boy. He's a good boy. Anyway... So we pick back up with Leo and company at the station to catch the ferry from the neutral territory kind of port town of Caveshore, which Leo found himself in five years ago when he was crossing the water from Estalor onto the mainland continent. But it also services ferries into Gimtarum because there's no land route into Gimtarum. You can only get there by sea. So. Uh, it's... A lot. It's very hustle and bustle. I've just got Dexter. I think I've made him a leash, and I am walking him along. So yeah, you're walking your bone dog. <laughs> you're walking your bone dog through this little town. People are staring, because it's a dog made of bones. You can pet him, he's very friendly. Nobody takes you up on the offer to pet your bone dog. <laughs> he's very unsettling. I think Ravain probably ran ahead to actually get tickets because Ravain likes to be prepared. And also, I think Ravain has never been on a ferry before, so he's like losing it. I have not spoken to Zed. I don't know how long it's been since we left the order, but I have not spoken to Zed at length since then. It's been probably a couple days because it takes a while to get from the order to the seashore. Lynn and Camila have come with you. It seems like mostly so Lynn can very, very calmly bully her son into writing her a letter. She is making comments in Orcish. <laughs> you don't understand Orcish unless you've cast a tongue spell. But like, 
to your ears, it sounds very much like. And anyway, it would be really great to receive a letter from my kid at least once a month. You are just moving through this town. Zed and Lynn are just kind of sniping at each other <laughs> very quietly. And Ravain has run ahead to get tickets for the ferry. I think Mia is just kind of like cleaning their nails with a knife as you're walking. Make a perception check for me. That's a 21. Okay. With a 21, out of the corner of your eye, you see a sturdy brown cloak and a shock of coily red hair. Leo whispers, oh, fuck. Okay, and then what's your armor class again? (laughs) (laughs) Because I do not have armor anymore, it's 14. (laughs) Get wrecked. Adds a 13. Can't roll for shit for this woman. I'm Matrix, out of the way. A glittering arrow made of light goes past your nose. (laughs) And then she's going to take another shot. And that one's a 24. As this arrow goes past your nose, another one goes and hits you in the shoulder. What the fuck? One Ms. Talindra Morin steps out of a crowd, both still raised and icily calm, says, where's my kid? How much damage did I take from that? Twelve. Fucking ouch, okay. (laughs) Okay, cool. I cast a healing word on myself and get eight points back and say, he's getting the fucking boat tickets. What is the matter with you? What's the matter with me? What's the matter with you? You, I don't, no, no, no. Don't play with me. I know you're not interested in hearing that. She does just pull the string back on her bow a little bit. Put me out of my misery, lady. I wish you would. (laughs) As she's doing that, Lynn Stonebloom claps and says, All right, everybody calm down. Ah, yes, Mrs. Stonebloom, I think that you and Talindra are going to be able to find a lot of things to talk about with each other, namely how much you just can't stand me. I think everybody's going to get along at this little mixer that we seem to find ourselves in now. Lynn had, like, stepped forward to get in between you and Talindra, and as you say that, very calmly, she says, Zed, why don't you tell your friend that it seems like he doesn't want me to save his ass? I don't look at Zed or acknowledge him. Out of the corner of your eye, you see Zed shift uncomfortably. And Lynn says, all right, everybody take a deep breath. Let's not escalate the situation, huh? Leo has his hands up and he goes, Ravain is fine. He's a little further up the road. As I said, getting us ferry tickets. Um, some shit went down in Stoutwood when I took him along to a council meeting with us and we were all kidnapped. Um, I broke up with my girlfriend. It was a very traumatizing time for me. Thank you for asking. And then we had to run away because I was wanted by the law. And we ended up staying at the Order of the Golden Tusk for a little bit, just trying to get our heads back on straight. 
We fixed his mushroom thing, by the way. That's under control. There's a long pause. Uh, There is a crowd gathered just watching this go down. (laughs) And then very calmly next to you, Mia says, well, this is all fascinating. Oh, this is Mia Saunders. Uh, They're the newest addition to our party. They actually rescued us after the aforementioned um, hubbub in Stoutwood. Oh, and Dexter. You haven't met Dexter yet. I pet Dexter on his horrible bonehead. Talindra slowly releases her hold on the bowstring, and you watch her body language shift, and Selica says, A bit further up the road, he said. Yeah, uh, at the at the at the ferry station. It, we're headed to- Oh, you don't even know any of this. I'm so sorry. Um, We're headed to Gimtarum, because there's a portal there that's going to get me back to Australia and out of your life forever. Interesting. And as <laughs> she's saying that, from behind her, you hear Celica as Ravain, clutching fairy tickets in one hand and a large drink in the other, walks through this crowd. <laughs> Immediately, Celica whips around and is just all over him. You know that thing that moms do where they like grab your face and like look you over? You watch her body language shift rapidly. As Celica and Talindra go through this whole process of checking him over. Tell him about our mushroom victory, Ravane. Ravane says, what happened to- Oh, yes, the, the mushrooms. Uh, yeah, that's- Well, or, or rather, it's not a thing. This is- We should talk somewhere where there aren't- And the whole crowd around you. <laughs> uh, Ravane says, this is sort of my personal business, and we're in a very public space. God, you people don't have anything better to do? You've never seen an elf shoot another elf in broad daylight before? Move along! Camilla says, Yeah, maybe we should. Let's, everybody, let's just move along now. Let's, let's go. And she, like, makes a frantic gesture, like, Come on, come on. Come on, Dexter. Camilla starts to just lead you through this crowd. Her demeanor is very much that of a kindergarten teacher on a field trip. Ruvain is quietly chattering to Selica and Talindra behind you. Zed is still stone silent. Is not saying anything. Okay, is the ferry there? Like, can we get on? Yeah, you get to the ferry station. Ferry's there. Everybody's boarding. I am, before I get on the boat, going to approach Lynn and Camila and thank them both very sincerely for their hospitality and all of their help. Camila gives you a little kiss on the cheek and a hug. Oh, man. Is it like a good mom hug? Yes, absolutely. Leo leans into that shit super hard. And Lynn does that thing that middle-aged butches do to younger people where she, like, claps you on the shoulder, like, the side of the neck and just shakes you a little bit. Okay, yep, you and Zed are related. Cool, 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 cool. Um, no, but really, I understand the stress that my presence puts you and yours under. And the fact that you kept us around is a testament to your character, and I really do appreciate it. I'll, um, I'll make sure to get him back safe to you soon, okay? Lynn smirks and says, I'd say any time, but I don't want you to take me up on that. You know, at this point in my journey of self-discovery, I really don't blame you. Ruvain and Selica and Talindra are also getting on the boat. Mia's getting on. Zed stops before he gets on the boat. Lynn does that same thing she did with Leo and just, like, claps him on the side of the neck and shakes him a little bit. 
and then just brings him in to like touch foreheads. And you can't hear what she's saying, but she says something in a very low voice. And Zed says something back and nods and then goes and gets on the ferry. This is not going to be fun. Yeah, the boat is starting. Uh, Roll me a perception check. (laughs) That's a big fat nine. Oh, okay. You don't see anything. Cool. If the boat is going, um, I don't know if there's like anywhere to sit down. I'm just making my way over to the side because I know what's about to start happening. Leo gets intensely seasick. Oh, no. Yeah, the boat starts moving. <laughs> it's not very fast when it's just getting out of the harbor. Roll a con save. It's another nine. It's not good. It's not good. <laughs> so I puke all the way from here to Fogville Door. Cool. <laughs> Leo, you puke so hard that it feels like, you know, that scene in Avatar The Last Airbender where Zuko has a, a moral crisis and his body rejects it. <laughs> that's applicable to a lot of things in my life right now (laughs) it takes a couple hours to get from cave shore into gimtarum you have never been to a volderan city for obvious reasons australia was at war with volder for 200 years and this all happened before leo was born and also the grand duke of australia isn't supposed to leave very often I don't know what Leo is expecting as he's pulling in, but as this fairy pulls into Gimtarum, you see this huge dam built into the side of this, like, jagged, rocky mountainside. And it rises just, like, ever so slightly above the waterline. This fairy pulls in and pulls into this, like, lock... It slowly fills with water, and the fairy glides into another lock, and that one slowly drains, and you find yourself overlooking the vast, yawning cavern in which the city of Gimtarum and the port thereof is built. You are looking over the side of this boat, you see these, like, interconnecting locks going down this dam and then you see this vast underground bay there's like a crescent moon of a city around it built into the rock of the mountain you see just bustling activity down there you see smoke coming up from chimneys you see a steam engine going around the wall of this cavern leo's never seen any technology like this before though nope leo has no idea what it is there is this like snaking metal vehicle of some kind just zooming over this cavern wall and from it rises this pale steam it goes around a bend and the steam changes colors And then as that happens, there is a shifting and grinding in the cavern wall as something moves to direct this engine a different way. It is astounding. It is impossible to fathom how many people are here for Leo. There is so much activity going on here. I would say it's smaller than Velental, but it is probably three times as populated. Yet Leo finishes throwing up and just looks up with huge eyes and his jaw just like dropped. From beside you, 
very softly. Ravain says, Holy shit. Holy shit. This next lock that the fairy drains and it goes to the next one. And it is just this intricate machinery built into the stone in a way that almost is impossible to see. Leo's still very shell-shocked. He just quietly whispers, Ravane, how the hell are we supposed to find a portal in all this? Ravane says, I... I don't know. I guess we look for a book. Well, that seemed to help us pretty reliably so far. Place this big, there's gotta be a library. Although, after my, um little dust-up with Talindra earlier, I'm reminded that I need to visit an armorer before we go anywhere else. From beside Ravane, very, very icily, Talindra says, if you didn't think to visit an armorer before now, then I'm glad I could be a reminder. Leo puts a finger up like he's about to get really sassy with her, and then the sassy finger shifts to a a just-a-second finger, and then he turns around and pukes over the side of the boat again. The ferry is slowly drifting down these locks in this dam, and then it makes its way through the bay and just chunk, slides into a kind of mechanically directed slot in this little port. And you are in Gimtarum. Leo was not prepared for this. Like, he doesn't actually know that much about Vogbuldor that he hasn't heard about from his father. I mean, yeah, roll a history check to see what you do now. I don't know much. I rolled a 10. (laughs) Oh, that's so sad. Honestly, Leo didn't pay a lot of attention in any of his lessons as a rowdy teen. So what you know is the sanitized sort of accounts that they give to children about extremely bloody, messy circumstances. You know there was a war. You know the war was punctuated by lots of fits and starts at peace if that makes sense it lasted for like 200 years and it had mostly resolved by the time Leo was born shortly before Leo was born there was that like last attempt at peace talks between Volgoder and Asheria and it was directed by Leo's uncle Okay. You have been told that Bogwader is very uh, interested in conquest and is very interested in mechanical innovation and that a lot of the things that they sort of import into Australia tend to be small mechanical innovations that they have sold in exchange for magical innovations from Australia. Like, they are not as preoccupied with arcane magic they are very practical this is a big place to try to find what i'm sure is a small portal um and we don't even know what we're gonna do once we find it oh god yeah leo pauses at the top of the gangplank just again eyes big as dinner plates looking at this bustling city full of people and just kind of quietly says to himself and whoever's around him Oh, fuck. I don't think I thought this through. From beside you, Mia says, Well, that's shocking, ain't it, bud? 
Thanks for the vote of confidence, Mia. If it helps. <laughs> I haven't spent a lot of time in Gimtarum, but this is far from my first uh, foray into Evelduran uh, settlement. Cool. You know what? I'm going to elect to not try to dissect that at all. And just ask if you know where I could uh, get hooked up with some armor and a new shield. And uh, also, I lost my bones back in Stoutwood. My my Kimrel bones. I, I don't know. Damn it, there's probably not a church of Kimrel here, is there? Mia does laugh at that <laughs> and says, I wouldn't count on it. Roll a history check again. 13. You would know there has been... A little bit of, like, Ashuri and Vulduran, not exchange, because obviously no one emigrates to Ashuria, but a few Ashurians have made their homes in Vogvuldur, which is part of why you would know Kalesa's dad is the Ashurian ambassador, and he was sent to Vogvuldur because they were accepting a lot of people in. It's mostly merchants, a couple of magical scholars, but not a lot. You would know a couple of your classmates at the Order of Iluna, or more accurately, Soren's classmates, have gone to Vogwilder because they were looking at some of their magical innovations like, ooh, I wonder if I could blend this together. And a lot of Vulduran technology is kept under wraps and does not leave. <laughs> you would maybe be able to find a couple of people that gather for Kimrel services, but a full church of Kimrel is not going to be something you're going to be able to find. I would run a pretty big risk if I tried to go anywhere explicitly Australian in nature of being recognized too, right? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't guess that everyone knows Leo's face, but enough people and definitely anyone from the aristocracy yeah, no, that's a dicey idea. Um, yeah, Leo kind of curses and starts walking down the gangplank and goes, All right, yeah, it's probably not a good idea to show my face in a church right now. My mother always got her divination tools from the Order of Iluna Tower. Is there any kind of wizard's tower or something like that around here? Roll investigation, and while you're doing that, roll me a perception check as you step off into the docks. What's the perception check for? You don't need to know that. Just roll it. Okay. Well, investigation. Hey, is a dirty 20. And perception is an 11. Aw, so sad. Okay. Yeah, you don't see anything. Um, <laughs> I rolled a dirty 20. No, 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 no. On the perception, you don't see anything. Uh, on the investigation... Yeah, you see what you think might be a wizard's tower. Wizard's towers are all very, like, of a mold, if that makes sense. <laughs> I spent 40 years with Sora, and I could probably pick up on the nerd energy from across the city. I think you notice it. It doesn't look like an Asturian wizard's tower, because Asturian wizard's towers tend to be very, like, elegant and spindly. It is this very utilitarian, almost squat tower, if that makes sense. Like, very simple, round, flat roof. There are no, like, angled roofs in Gimtarum because there is a rock ceiling over the entire city. They don't need to have, like, any weather going off the roofs because there's no weather. <laughs> you see this very squat, flat-topped building. You notice it because there is no smoke coming out of it. 
Okay, so it's probably being magically heated, or whatever they need the fire for, it's being magically produced. Okay, so there's that. Um, alright, uh, yeah, I, I need to do a little bit of shopping before we start on this whole portal hunt. Um, oh god, we're gonna have to do a little bit of division of labor here. Ravane and Celica. There is a pause. And then Celica says, I know you don't think you're giving me orders. It's going to be a very humble request because you seem like you are just so smart and we could use your help. Mm hmm. Interesting. Go on. I need a couple minutes to go replace some of the things that I lost back in Stoutwood. And then after that, we are going to need to find a library because we are going to have to find some way to A, hunt this portal down, and B, Figure out how the hell we're going to make it work. Uh, I did if I was allowed. I either brought the actual text from the Order of the Golden Tusk with me, or I copied everything down verbatim. Yeah, you would have had to have copied it. It's not really a library in the sense that they check things out. <laughs> it's an archive. Okay, yeah, Leo would have taken the time before they left to verbatim, absolutely word for word, copy down everything in that text. Okay, cool. You have that as a reference. You have the wizard's tower, so you asked Celica and Ravane to pick up armor? No, I'm saying that I need to go pick up my armor and go try to get my augury tools. And then after that, I am going to have to go to a library. At that point, I want Celica and Ravane to come with me. Celica just inclines her head and says, Of course. So you're going to get supplies. And then she turns to Zed and Mia and says, Anything else to do while that's happening? Uh, we're probably gonna need to figure out somewhere to lay our heads. I mean, Mia, you said you were familiar with the area. Mia, just a slow smirk, says, Not this city specifically, but, uh, I am well-versed in Valderan hotels. So yeah, uh, Mia, you go start working on an inn or a hotel, perhaps. Celica, Talindra, Ravane, and I will- Go do our errands. Um, Zed, uh... Leo kind of, like, stops and laughs humorlessly to himself and then looks back up at Zed and goes, Just try not to do anything stupid. Zed winces. <laughs> and then very dryly says, I'll help rustle up a hotel room, boss. He just goes. He is already going. And Mia just, like, stops for a second and goes, Well, I would love to know what that's about, but I'm not gonna ask. And then just follows him. Celica and Talindra and Ravane all go with you to an armor. I think Ravane picks up a breastplate as soon as he walks in and just like looks at it and some bracers. We should probably not touch that. Yeah, from behind the counter, a very loud voice says, Don't touch anything! As the bell above the door goes off. <laughs> Hello! Uh, I'm in the market for uh, a suit of armor and perhaps a nice sturdy shield. Wait a second, wait a second. You, I think, turn a corner around an aisle and see this front counter. Two figures just kind of sitting, you would assume, on stools behind this very low counter. A gnome and a dwarf. As you walk in, one of them yells, don't touch anything. And then as soon as you turn this corner, there is a burst of rapid fire gnomish from both of them absolutely just going off. <laughs> you have no idea what they're talking about, but it is a heated conversation. 
between this like little gnomish lady and this larger buff dwarvish lady. They are both, it seems like in their mid fifties equivalently. Very practical clothing. The dwarf lady has her hair and her beard both braided and the gnomish lady has a crew cut and they are just going at it. The entire time I'm in here and what I said when we first walked in, I am speaking dwarvish, not common. I'm trying to blend in as much as I can and look like I'm maybe like an Australian expat or something. They yelled, don't touch anything in dwarvish. So Ravain is still fiddling with the armor. <laughs> Ravain! What? They asked you to put it down. Ravain says, oh, uh, and then gingerly puts down the bracer that he was looking at. And the entire pile just falls over. (laughs) (laughs) I cast Thaumaturgy to make some other sound over the sound of everything falling to the ground. You cast Thaumaturgy. There's a loud boom from outside. And the heated gnomish stops. I'm immediately trying to pick everything back up and put it where it was. The older dwarvish lady says, damn, kids. Hello. So sorry. Um... Just looking for a suit of armor and a shield. I know uh, the the fitting might be a little rough. I don't have the most typical body type. Do you walk up to the counter as you're saying this? Yes, um, and I am just reaching down and getting Ravain by the hand and leading him along behind me like, please don't touch anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you walk up to this counter. This little gnomish lady looks up and up and up at you. She's like two feet tall. And she like clicks her tongue and she says, All right, sweetheart, let's see what we can do for you. Thank you, I really appreciate it. Yeah, uh, you know, um, I'm on a little bit of a modest budget. I've only got about 200 gold to work with, so is that acceptable, or? The dwarven lady, like, tilts her head one way, tilts it the other, and says, uh, Yeah, I think we could probably do that, eh, Magda? The little gnomish lady says, Well, it's not gonna get him anything nice, but... Oh my god. I'm gonna have to buy something off the clearance rack. Lyra <laughs> Valside is a problem! <laughs> Let me roll investigation to see what I can oh find. My god. 13. You find some pieces that you think you could wear. There is some okay looking scale mail. There's a nice. It's not a bad breastplate, it is a breastplate that has been very obviously patched. It looks like the metal itself was fucked up in some sort of way, and there was other metal patched onto it. It looks very serviceable. It's not pretty. And there's like a rack of shields. Things in your price range aren't pretty, and you look, I think, longingly over at an aisle where there's a sign that says Enchanted. But you can get a serviceable breastplate and a shield that will work. So, mechanically, is this refurbished breastplate still going to have the same AC as, like, my old breastplate did? Yes, it is an aesthetic difference, not a functional one. It just doesn't look good. (sighs) All right. (laughs) I grab the ugly breastplate and, like, a shield and just go up to the counter. With a charming smile, this gnome woman says, You want a fitting for that, sweetheart? Yeah, I mean, I'm already not going to look great in this. I would at least prefer that it doesn't chafe. Yeah, we do custom fittings for all of our armor pieces. That's another 10 gold. Um, just just really quick, uh, how 
how much are these two going to run me? Because I don't know. This refurbished breastplate is still going to run you like 150 gold. <sighs> yeah, but uh, if I get the scale mail, that's going to mean a stealth disadvantage. And I don't know that I want to do that. Like, it's the same armor class, but... Yeah, but the scale mail is also less than 100 gold. So you said I have 200 on me. It's 150 for the breastplate, and how much for the shield? 10 for the shield. Oh, that's a lot of money to dump, but yeah, I'm gonna do it. So that's, what, 160 out of my 200? Yeah. Yeah, and if you wanted fitted, that's 170. Oh, god. This hurts. Yep, I'm gonna pay the 170 and get the breastplate and the shield and get it custom fitted so it doesn't hurt me. Yikes. Okay, so you pay 170 of your 200 gold. <sighs> and these very nice ladies go, have a nice day! Ugh, yeah, I just put on my armor over, I guess I'm wearing, like, I'm dressed probably like an acolyte of the Order of the Golden Tusk. I probably had to just take clothes from them. Yeah, you're wearing very loose-fitting linen pants, a very not-flattering cotton shirt. It's not good. You don't look great. You don't feel great. This is fucking degrading. I start buckling on the breastplate. So, Lero Valsine, Archduke of mismatched fashion. I hate this for me. <laughs> Let's go to the wizard's tower. As you walk out, you hear the dwarven lady yell, What the fuck happened to these braces? Go, 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 go! I'm like shoving Ravane in front of me. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you go, you go to the wizard's tower. Can we just walk into the wizard's tower? Is that a thing we can do? I think you can walk into the lobby of this wizard's tower where you see a little, like a hotel desk. <laughs> With just this little gnomish, uh, seems like a teenager, is just scribbling in a notebook and doesn't even look up as you come in. Just goes, name in the visitor's log. Oh, um, Ravane, you want to sign in? <laughs> Ravane grimaces and says, yeah, let me just do that. And picks up, I think they have like a pen on a chain. <laughs> That is just bolted to this desk, and he just, like, very carefully, in print, writes Ravane Sorrel in this visitor's log. Excellent. Um, could you direct us towards your divination department? This guy goes, third floor, second door on the left, and then you punch in, let me write you down the rune code. The, the rune, okay, so it's locked. And then this guy, like, turns, grabs a little scrap of paper, and writes down some dwarvish runes, and then hands it to you, and says, have a nice day, and then goes back to his notebook. Leo just takes the paper and goes upstairs. <laughs> you head for the stairwell. It is a lift. It is a cage elevator. What the fuck? Yeah, Leo has never seen anything like this. It is, like, in a 20s hotel, it is just an elevator with, like, a cage door. You walk in, and there is just a keypad. Just, like, a bunch of buttons with numbers on them. Does it correspond with the shit that this guy wrote down for me? Not really. Um, he wrote down something separate for you, but it is, like, just numbers in Dwarvish runes. I mean, I speak Dwarvish, so yeah, I would probably know the right thing to push. You go up to the third floor. 
it is perception bending up here. Some sort of like spatial magic is going on with this tower. You step into a very small little room off of this lift that looks like it should take up the entirety of the tower and just a bunch of doors in a circle. I just wanted to get some bones, man. <laughs> Ravane, you doing okay? Because, like, I, I don't know how okay I'm doing right now. Ravane is staring wide-eyed. And he goes, I've never seen anything like this. Uh, yeah, I mean, it could be something between conjuration and transmutation, which seems like a weird thing to do with the divination wing of the building. But in dwarvish script on the doors are various names of different schools of magic like the second door on the left says divination in dwarvish runes there's not really a doorknob there's just like a little plate with a bunch of runes inscribed on it leo just blinks very fast and then goes over to the door that says divination and types in the code that he got roll a constitution safe and i'm gonna roll one for ravane and selga <laughs> oh great uh, well, I rolled a 19. Ruvain rolled a 4. Selica rolled a dirty 20. As you punch in these rune codes, there is just a nauseating warping of space. Ooh. The door stays stationary, nothing else does. Your perception, like, turns in on itself. And then around you materializes a bustling room full of a bunch of gnomish and dwarvish wizards who are just, like, bustling around, holding a bunch of texts. You see someone scrying with a crystal ball in a corner. It is all the hustle and bustle of what you would know as the divination wing of the Order of Iluna in this very tight little space. Ravane looks so nauseous. He grabs the nearest trash can and just hurls. In unison, all of these wizards stop. There is a brief pause, and then one of them yells, Hey, what can we do for you? Hi, uh, this may seem like a little bit of a weird ask. I'm here pursuing um, some research based on a little bit of my mother's work, and I would really love access to your divination tools. Oracle bones, maybe a deck of cards, something along those lines. Oh, sure, sure. And he just, like, bustles off to a cabinet. Everybody returns to their work. They are all super focused on what they're doing at their individual stations. And this guy just, like, bustles over to a cabinet and says, So you said bones or cards? Uh, do you have a preference? Oh, bones. Bones, please. There's a clatter as this guy, like, half climbs into this, like, filing cabinet. And then emerges with a little set of bones. They're not as ornate as the ones that you had. But they are serviceable. And he says, yeah, these work. Cool. Awesome. Um, would I or my friend over there, and I point to Ravane, who's still throwing up, be able to maybe check these out for a little bit? This guy stops a second and tilts his head and says, ah, you can have them wholesale uh, for, uh, and then he pulls out a little ledger from like a pocket and just goes, dun, dun, uh, 10 silver pieces. Okay. 10 silver. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, hmm. That's Kamas, kid. Sure is. I, uh, I hand over the fucking money, I guess. I believe ten silver equals out to one gold. Oh, I'm just getting broker by the second. Okay. <laughs> hey, um, 
That's Vogvoldur, baby. Yep. Capitalism is hell. <laughs> I buy my bones. And then we leave. You see Celica, like, sneak off to look at something over one of these wizards' shoulders. And then as you turn to leave, she goes, oh, right. I have my bones. I'm gonna go. Um, and we're gonna try to hunt down a library. Can I ask the nice young man at the front desk <laughs> if he knows where a library is? Roll persuasion to get this shitty teenager to look up from his homework. Natural 20. Hey, uh, kid, I'm working on my thesis. Could you, uh, you know, just draw me a hint? I'm, I'm, I'm in from out of town, uh, but a pointer towards the library would be so appreciated. This shitty little teenager behind his desk heaves a deep, deep, exhausted sigh and then says, All right, so if you're looking for academic texts of the arcane nature, what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to go to the Northridge Library. You're going to head out the side door onto uh, Tower Street, and you're going to go four blocks up. You're going to turn on to Fifth, and then you're going to go three blocks west, and you're going to turn north onto 16th. And then from there, you're going to want to look for the long sort of squat building with the big stained glass doors, right? Cool. Um, uh, just a quick question. What's a block? Buddy, do you need to see a healer? Like, have you got a head injury? You know what? We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. Come on, everybody. And then I would like to leave and try to find this fucking library. Roll a survival check for Leo. <laughs> That's a 13. Great, great. So, you don't know what the fuck a block is. <laughs> you get turned around a couple times, you stumble into a fish market at one point, but you manage, after a significant amount of time, to find your way to this library. I turn back around to Ravain and Selica. Okay, so, um, this is where you two come in. I technically studied to be a wizard- Quite a few years ago, um, it, it pains me to admit this, I was just so bad at it. So, um, I have all of the paperwork we were able to find at the Order of the Golden Tusk right here with me. I can't really make heads or tails of it in an arcane sense. Essentially, I think what we need to do is reverse engineer a way to activate this teleportation circle. Does that make sense? Roll persuasion really quick. 12. Okay, it was DC 10. You flipped Celica's nerd switch. Begrudgingly, she very quietly says, a portal, huh? Uh, yes, from what I'm able to figure out from the texts that we got, it's not a teleportation spell in the way that most people understand it. It's something else and it's way above my pay grade so she holds out her hand she says give it here give it here yeah i dig in my bag and i hand out all the copies i made from the order and just hand her all of the information as you walk in this library she is pouring over these papers ravain says selica gets a little intense about magic that's exactly what we need right now fortunately you walk into this library. Um, roll me perception really quick. That's an 18. Ooh, almost. Uh, you don't see anything. Celica is like 
poring over these papers again, to herself almost, she says, So it's not a tele- Well, that doesn't make any sense. Wait a minute. I need a table. I need to write something. Is it a library as I understand it? Like- It's a college library. There are a lot of people in the stacks. There are a lot of tables to study at. It is a university library in the purest sense. I actually have experience with that. So, like, they probably have a card catalog and things that Leo knows what to do with. <laughs> I will let Celica do her thing and just help her however she needs. And I'm assuming Ravain, like, as the wizard in our party, is also going to be doing a lot of this work. Like, Leo can't do this work. Celica just zooms to a table, pulls out a quill from her bag, and just starts scribbling on your copied notes. Okay, but if it was a teleportation circle, then no, that's not. Okay, then I would have to carry the one here, and she is just mumbling to herself as she, like, makes notes. What about location-based information? Like, if I can find information on the different locations on the map, where these portals apparently are. Celica, like, waves a hand and says, I wouldn't know how to do that. I mean, something this big would have to have a wide area to anchor itself into, but if you broke any of the runes, it wouldn't work, so it would need to be an unbroken plane. And I would think if, and she, like, flips through your copied notes, if it's supposed to be permanent, then I would think it would be etched rather than drawn. Okay, um, I'm gonna go try to find the card catalog. I'm taking Ravain with me. You wander off. Celica is feverishly making notes. <laughs> you start going through. Uh, roll investigation for me. 21. Because it is a library of the arcane, they have a section for Australian knowledge. Like, a specific section for texts out of Australia. And there is another specific section in a larger history section about the war. A lot of magical information was sort of gleaned during the war from Vogvolder, and then a lot of innovation sprung from that. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna grab everything that seems like it might be relevant. You pick up a couple geography texts. They seem patchy. The Voldurans did not fully invade Australia. They were kind of doing limited strikes. They weren't exactly charting the landmass. But there is, like, base information. There is a small geographical sort of outline. Is that all you're looking for? Is just the location of where another of these portals could be? Well, I know what the locations are, because that was marked on the map. But I'm looking for any kind of record of any kind of permanent magical circle. And just, like, something that might have been picked up on that front during the war. With that investigation check, I think there are a lot of, like, autobiographical accounts of the war, and I think there is a name that trips something off in your brain. There is a very, like, archaic-sounding dwarvish name that you recognize from history lessons. There's just sort of, like, five volumes of autobiography of this figure from the Vulduran War, and you pick up one that is simply labeled The Omagroth Troubles. And you remember that one of the locations on that map was near Omagroth. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm digging into it. Roll history really quick. 24. 
Okay. You dig through this text. It's largely a big account of the Battle of Omegroth, which you remember being told that the Battle of Omegroth was bloody and ferocious. It dragged on for weeks of just violence over miles and miles of the countryside outside of Omegroth. As you dig deeper into it, you see an account of something from this older Valderan man who's just saying, we set up a sentry post in what the locals refer to as the Silent City. With that history check, do I know what that means? Yeah, absolutely. You remember being told no one was allowed to go into the Silent Cities because to go into the Silent Cities is to basically invite death. Like, it's not somewhere anyone goes. Okay, noting that. There's just a long account describing the Silent City. This older man describes piles of bodies in the streets, like old, long-decayed bodies. Describes buildings still standing. Describes some knowledge that they were able to glean about Asherian magic from just the ambient sort of atmosphere of the place that he writes will most assuredly help us in our campaign. He talks about a large glyph that appears to be tied to some sort of arcane mechanism in the middle of the city and talks about how no one's been able to crack what the purpose of it is. And you remember that one of the portal locations is outside of Omegroth. Okay, I am also noting that. I'm just going to go through everything that I've pulled and see if I can glean anything else. You notice something odd as you're flipping through a couple pages ahead in this whole big description. You notice this Volduran man talks about the Treaty of Omegroth and talks about treaty discussions. Well, and with that check, I would know that there was no Treaty of Omegroth, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he talks about long negotiations. He specifically mentions by name. This is, I think, what makes the passage stick out to you. You see your mother's name there. He specifically mentions by name Grand Duke Valoran of House Valsine. He specifically mentions by name Grand Duchess Adriel of House Valsine. He specifically mentions by name Duke Moreland Valsine and Duchess Adana Valsine. What the hell? Oh yeah, I'm digging into this. Absolutely. I'll roll another check if you need me to. Go ahead, history with advantage. <laughs> yes. That's a nat 20, bud. Okay. This account goes into a lot of details about treaty discussions. It talks about a general, because this guy is not one of the main Valderan generals, is just pretty high-ranking and enough of a war hero that his autobiographies sell. But he talks about generals meeting with Grand Duke Valoran and talks about how agreeable the young man seems. He uses those words specifically. 
I think a specific sentence that is used is, we believed the campaign could be over within the year. Uh, given the dating of this account, how long after it was the war actually over? You would know from the dating and from descriptions in the passages, because Adana comes up a couple more times, you know from the dating and from the descriptions that this is before Leo was born. The war went on for decades after this. It keeps going on these treaty negotiations, talks about land agreements, it talks about concessions of certain natural resources, it talks about trade agreements, and it just goes on and on about how agreeable and personable young Grand Duke Valorin and his wife are, and how much they wanted to make the treaty work. You know that during these dates, right before Leo was born, Grand Duke Valorin was assassinated. He was killed in his bed. You've never heard much else about it, but you know that he died around here. Yeah, I think Leo's jaw just kind of drops as he's pouring back over this book. And he just whispers, this doesn't make any sense. I think you read like one more passage through this treaty document, and there is something something. I'm given to understand that the young Duke Morlin is now the Archduke. And I can only assume that that's related to recent embargoes, given the hostility that the young man showed to our forces. No way. It just glosses right over it. But the impression that you're given is that Grand Duke Valoran very much wanted the war to end and was willing to bargain whatever was necessary. And your father didn't. Your father wanted retribution. For quite a few reasons, Leo just sets the book down like it's made out of dynamite and goes, Kimrel's bones, old man, I knew you were an asshole, but... It is just a small passage in this book. It just glosses over this huge revelation that you've had, but it is enough for you to figure some stuff out. Leo knows that this is when his uncle died. He also knows that his aunt Audriel died seemingly accidentally within a couple years after this. I am taking extensive notes on this just because I feel like it might aid me in the future in terms of negotiating my own claim to power. And then I'm taking everything else we were able to find out back to Celica. You are, like, absorbed in your own head a little bit. You run smack into somebody else at the end of the stack. Whoa, whoa, oh, sorry. Oh, shit. Uh, you look up. Books fall to the floor. I think you were carrying an armful, and this person that you knocked into was carrying an armful. And she goes, oh, sorry about that. You look up, and this... Australian elven woman is in front of you, dark blue undertone skin, a bunch of very small silver braids, and these big thick glasses with these slotting lenses that look like they fold over the larger lenses in front of her eyes. Leo notes that she's Australian and immediately starts panicking a little. Oh, no, you know, my my fault. <laughs> my fault entirely here. Just let me help you. And he starts picking up the books. I'd like to investigation check to see what she's reading. Yeah, absolutely. 
13. You see one of the books she's looking at. It says Geological Survey of the Southern Valderan Mountains. And a lot of it seems to be stuff like that. I scoop all these books up and I hand them to her after noting what they are. And as calmly as I can say, looks like you're engaged in some very interesting research. I'll um, leave you to it. I'm going to roll something for her. Yeah. And then I'm going to roll something else. Okay. Roll insight. 25. She looks at you, and there is a brief moment of surprise on her face. And then she smothers it, and she gives you this very, like, tight little smile. She says, yes, I'm part of a uh, expedition going out into the mountains next week, so I thought I'd best be prepared. She inclines her head, and just this bland expression, this big, flat smile. Erevay Anmar. And who may you be? Leo fucking panics for a second. I'm probably going to have to roll deception on this, but he bows back and says, um, uh, uh, Valor and Shakrana. Roll deception. <laughs> Eight. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Yeah. She just nods. She says, again, big flat smile. Nice to meet you, Valorant. Have a wonderful day. And she picks up her books and she goes, Fuck! <laughs> Shit! <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh no! <laughs> uh, am I able to tell that I fucked up that deception check or not? Nah? Oh yes, you rolled a really good insight. She didn't believe you. <laughs> She left in a real hurry. Uh, okay, um, yeah, I'm grabbing Ravane by the back of the shirt and just dragging him back to Celica and being like, we need to get the information that we need and get out of here. I have some notes. Have you figured anything out? We need to go. Ravane, spluttering, goes with you. <laughs> I picked up some geological texts. Uh, I ha there were, like, surprisingly few of them. I had to almost fight this other lady for him. Uh, uh, uh Braids in her hair, funky glasses. Yeah, really pretty. Um, We need to get the fuck out of here, man. Celica, just still making notes on your copied notes, goes, uh, I would need a little more time to figure out this equation. We, we have the papers for you to do the math. That's fine. We just need to not be here right now because uh, mm, I'm... Uh, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a recognizable face, and I think that I may have just fucked up real hard. Her grip tightens on her quill, and she says, Shocking. And then she nods to herself, and she says, Ravane, darling, if we leave you here with a list of books, would you mind picking some up for me? And Ravane goes, I mean, yeah, I can- The, uh, the filing system is really easy to understand, actually. I'm really into it. Card catalog, that's what I've been telling you for like two months now, man. You hang out here, I'll figure out what we're doing next, and I'll hit you with the sending, okay? Yeah, sure. And then Celica is not paying attention, she's just scribbling down a couple, like, bits of subject matter on a paper, and then she hands it over to Ravane and she says, We will see you very soon. Stay safe. Don't get- And then she, like, grimaces. Don't get kidnapped.
Well, he won't be around me, so he won't be in imminent danger of that, it would seem. Fair enough. And you and Selica, in tense silence, leave this library. I'm getting out of there as fast as fucking possible <laughs> if this lady has clocked me as being who I actually am. I'm gonna send a sending off to Zed. We're all done with our errands. Where are you guys? There's a pause, and then you get a reply that's just a couple of street names and numbers and nothing else. Cool. I don't know how the grid system of this city works, so... <laughs> Roll advantage survival. <laughs> I rolled a natural one. So it's good that you gave me advantage. But with advantage, it's a 12. Like a tourist in New York City, you're wandering around. It takes you a while. You get to the intersection that Zed has described to you. And you see Mia just smoking on a bench. And Zed just like leaning against a wall in stony silence with his arms crossed. Roll it, Insight. That would be 18. Zed has a very tight grip on one of his upper arms. He looks tense. As you walk up, Mia sees you first, just again, furiously smoking. They just draw, hey, sugar. So, we have gotten uh, respectable accommodations at this fine establishment. That's great. My day just got so weird. All right. I, hmm, Mia takes a long drag off their cigarette and then says, I'd ask, but I don't care. We have a rough geographic location of the portal. Uh, we've got Celica working on reverse engineering a key. Um, there are some other Australians hanging out around here that seem to know who I am. So... That's an element that we need to consider. Oh, Kimrel's fucking teeth I need to drink. Mia does, like, sit up a little straighter. A drink I can help you with. Hey, hey. And then they, like, pump their eyebrows a couple seconds and say, Either of you gents ever been to a nightclub? What's a night club? Is that, like, a gathering of people who are really enthusiastic about the dark? Or... Mia cackles, like, full on. <laughs> and says, oh, tonight's gonna be so wonderful. We'll talk about it when it gets dark out. And then I just go inside this building with Celica. Intense silence, you and Celica walk in. Celica has a vice grip still on her quill as she's just scribbling notes. And as soon as she walks in the room, she doesn't look at you. She just goes and sits down and just keeps writing. And then, very calmly, she says, So, what's your plan here? Um, well, you haven't had much interaction with our friend Mia yet, but they are highly proficient at ending people's lives <laughs> in a very... Fast and efficient manner, and apparently have been sent here by my god to help me. So my sort of game plan here is that we activate this portal. Uh, there's a coordinating portal right at the mouth of the capital city of Australia. 
We jump through, we sneak in. Mia does a real good stab on my dad, I'm hoping for. I just really want to watch it. And then I'm out of your hair forever. Sounds good, right? Her quill pauses on the paper. And then her head tilts and Talinder looks up at you and says, We will not be going into Asheria, and neither will Ravain. And roll insight. 25. She's trying to mask it pretty well, but you see just a second of sheer terror in her eyes as she says that. Of course, that's nothing that any of you signed up for. I just need Ravain and Selicus help with getting this portal up and running. And as I said, after that, I'll be just as far out of your way as you have always wanted me to be. She pauses, and then through gritted teeth, says, You going to the island? The... The island? Look, you mean Luxtogallan? No, we're headed for the capital. That's where the church is centered. We don't have any business there. She laughs humorlessly and says, It's the center of something, all right? What do you mean by that? She pauses for a second and then says, You expect me to believe you don't know what they do to people there? Leo goes very rigid and purses his lips and says, I have reason to believe that they do something to people there. I just don't know specifics. It's definitely not anything I want or support. I can assure you of that. That island took my mother. (laughs) It's taken a whole lot more than that. She crosses her arms over her chest defensively and says pirates have been bringing people there for years and none of them have come back pirates like the storm folk she again just a humorless laugh she says obviously not i'm talking about asherian pirates there aren't what are you talking about she's gonna roll insight That was a nat 20. Leo is genuinely confused. He has no idea what the fuck she's talking about. She takes a very deep breath and says, You don't know anything. Yes, I'm rapidly coming to that conclusion, (laughs) in fact. There's no history of piracy in Australia at all. Our, our, Our only issue with pirates have come from the Zephyr Isles. I assure you, there are Asherian pirates. I don't know anything about the situation with the Stormfolk, but Asherian vessels have been terrorizing the Dragon's Maw and stealing entire crews off of ships for millennia at this point. That... Talindra, apologies, I, I know you have no reason to trust me, but that... That doesn't make sense. I'm not accusing you of lying. I'm just asking you to help me understand. I have very intimate experience 
with the situation. She looks not mad, but like she is like simmering. She says, I am very wildly aware that generations of disappearances have been the fault of Asherian pirates. They have been taken to that island. I didn't. And she stops and she looks her lips and she says, I didn't get there myself. I jumped ship when they started to board, but <sighs> no one else who was on that boat was seen again. That's all the information I have and it's all the information that I need. Then it would seem that there is more going on in my country than either of us know the full picture of. She shakes her head. She says, I don't need to know the full picture. What I know is that Asherian pirates mean death. And what I know is that when I stumbled back to shore, I spent years, we spent years, not fully ourselves, until we stumbled upon the wreckage of a village crushed by a landslide and found an infant in the rubble. And he has been the focus of our attention. And the second you come into our home, he gets stolen away. So no, I don't like you. And yes, I would like you out of my hair as permanently as possible. I understand and respect the sentiment, but it's very important to me for you to know that Ravain left 100% of his own accord and has told me as much. The fact that he hasn't told you the same thing might be something that you need to examine. She just puts a hand up, and then her body language shifts, and Selica says, Look, I will finish these equations, and I will help you in this effort. While I'm at it, I will be as civil as I can manage, and I will try to make Talindra do the same. But make no mistake that this is a relationship of convenience. And she just goes back to making notes. That's all that any relationship I have in my life anymore is. I don't have any delusions about it. And Leo turns around and goes back downstairs and goes to find Mia. It's starting to get dark in Gimtarum. I think it gets dark a little early because they're underground. The sun is coming in through like the opening by the ocean, but it gets dark pretty early and then the sunset just kind of lights up the ceiling. Mia is just smoking and says, so, you still want that drink? Explain this concept of night club to me, please. It's a place where they play loud music and sell you cheap liquor. And you are encouraged to dance in tight quarters with very attractive strangers. Well, moderately attractive strangers. Depends on how many of the cheap drinks you have, really. What you're describing to me, this is a real place? Absolutely. It's my favorite place in the world. <laughs> oh my god, this is such a relief. After the day that I have had, I want to take a bottle of whiskey to the face and get objectified by strangers. Let's go! And then Ravain is going up the street. Ravain, we're gonna go get objectified by strangers. Come with us. 
Vane like stops, books in his hands, says, I've never been objectified. (laughs) (laughs) It's not supposed to feel good, but sometimes it really does. All right, let me take these up. And he goes into the hotel with the books. Zed, still leaning against the wall, like kind of dusts his hands off and says, Yeah, I could use a drink right now. Um, I need to not walk in like I'm a student at the Order of the Golden Tusk. So let's go find some kind of boutique where I can make myself appropriate. Mia, will you help me? I understand that our relationship has been a little fraught until now. I'm asking for your guidance as my teacher, as a mentor, as someone who knows these night clubs. Oh, so you want me to tell you how to dress like a slut? God, please. Fantastic. And you guys wait for Ravain, and you stumble off to a clothing store, and we have a fashion montage with Team Leo. (laughs) I only have 30 gold left, so um, I looked it up. A set of fine clothing (laughs) is 15 gold, so (laughs) I'm going to buy one practical set of clothing to, like, wear under my new armor that I got. And then um, with my last 15 gold, because I am counting on being able to get other people to buy me drinks for the rest of the night, <laughs> I am going to buy a crop top, a pair of stilettos, and a pair of high-waisted sequin booty shorts. So good. So good. Mia always dresses like Envy from Full Metal Alchemist. I think they get like a cocktail dress <laughs> at this boutique shop. Very plain, like oil slick black. With a slit so far up the thigh, it's almost upsetting. You know, I wish I trusted you more. I feel like we would be friends. Mia just pumps their eyebrows a little bit and says, Sweetheart, I don't have friends. Ruvain, like, walks out from behind a privacy screen, wearing what is very obviously the first low-cut shirt he has ever tried on. Oh my god, you look hot. Uh, are you sure? This doesn't feel very... No, I'm so into it. Listen, after all we've been through, I wouldn't lie to you. You look hot. He says, okay, also these pants, I don't think they're the right size. <laughs> no, Ravain, they're exactly the right size. Interesting, interesting. I think I need a supportive garment, but okay, yeah. And <laughs> he goes back behind the privacy screen. Zed comes out from behind the privacy screen. He's dressed like he normally is. Like the very loose pants, vest, no shirt. In a weird color scheme for him. Like deep, deep brown and gold. And he like scrapes his hair back up into a ponytail as he comes out. And he says, Alright. My only requirement for the night is that we go somewhere I can buy whiskey. Oh, Leo's trying so hard not to ogle him. (laughs) Roll deception. 16. That's okay, Zed rolled a two. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't quite look at you. He just brushes past you. Again, just scraping his hair up into that ponytail. Roll insight. 13. That was a natural four. He is trying not to look at you as he goes past you. There is a moment where he looks at you out of the corner of his eye and he like shifts his shoulders and cracks his neck. Uh, yeah, so he says that thing about his only requirement being going somewhere that we can get whiskey, and Leo just kind of purses his lips and nods and goes, 
Man after my own heart. Uh, let's roll. Mia, you lead the way. You guys roll up on this nice nightclub in Gimtarum. It is the weirdest experience you've ever had in your fucking life. From outside, you could hear this pounding bass line. <laughs> From the windows of this place, there are like these weird flashing lights in all these fun neon colors. <laughs> You walk in, you immediately see the bar, just like a huge rack of liquor bottles behind where this gnomish bartender is like spinning cups and shit. You hear all this music pumping, you see this big dance floor, you see a pool table out of the corner of your eye in a more well-lit part of the bar. It is insane. I'm gonna find the prettiest looking person in this bar and try to get them to buy me drinks. (laughs) You go find some very pretty people that buy you some very big drinks. Roll a constitution save. Before I do that, I'm burning, I'll say, like, all of my first level spell slots. Just as people are buying me drinks, I'm casting Detect Poison and Disease on every drink that I'm given. Absolutely. Uh, Roll me a con save. (laughs) Seven. Leo, it's been a while since you went properly binge drinking. You get quite slammered. Also, roll me a perception check. I'm drunk, it's a 10. Yeah. So, you buy a few drinks, you notice Mia is, like, sitting at a corner table, just lounging in a booth, talking to some very attractive men, hand pressed to their chest. You just watch them, like, flutter their eyelashes and say something. I'm actually so much more inclined to be friends with them now, holy shit. Zed, you can just barely see over the crowd, like, over where you saw the pool table. You watch him, like, tip his head back and laugh. Ravain is over in a booth on, like, the other side, nearer the bar, just passionately making out with a stranger. Leo, very drunk at this point, claps his hands over his head and goes, Get it! (laughs) Ravain is not paying attention. Just this, like, pudgy young woman, who you would recognize as an infernal elf. Bright blue, white hair, big horns, hands like fully in her hair, locking lips. <laughs> Ravane's having the time of his fucking life right now. <laughs> fucking good for him, man. I'm so proud of him. Do you dance? Oh God, with that constitution check and judging how drunk I am, I'm going to go find Zed. You start to head off towards the pool tables where you saw Zed. I'm going to roll con check for him. Zed is also quite hammered. <laughs> He meets you in the middle of the dance floor, and I think he just grabs you by the waist. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, hi. Um, are we... Oh, we're... He just, like, leans in over this dance floor. He says, It's been a rough week. I want to get a drink. I want to dance. And I want to make some bad choices. I want to have another drink as well, and I want to do some rather self-degrading dance moves. And I really want to kiss you again. Is that a challenge? That depends. You're going to take me up on it? Zed just grins, and you watch this, like, neon light reflect off of the jewelry in his tusks. And he says, Well, I've never been one to back down from a dare. Oh, I fully make out with him. Are you kidding me? (laughs) You and Zed make out on this dance floor, and you get a couple more drinks. And you have a very nice evening. And I think he stops you at the bar as you're like walking away with that round of drinks. And he says, So, 
So. Bad decisions. Extraordinarily bad decisions. And he grabs you by the face and just plants one on you. Pulls back and says, Just the worst decisions. <laughs> I think everybody else is uh, pretty engaged with whatever they're doing. Do you, uh... Do you want to get out of here? He just grins. And he says, Thought you'd never ask. You start walking through the door. And as you approach the door, you get backed into somebody from the dance floor. Oh my god, I'm so, I'm so sorry. Uh Hot men, you know, I just can't. You turn to look at this person that you've knocked into, and you see a woman with lavender skin and curling black horns, six feet tall, (laughs) in a flowing, fancy, very clearly Australian dress. She stumbles and blinks and looks you in the eyes. And in stereo, locking eyes, you both say, shit. And that's where we're gonna wrap this week. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to make the fee ruins everything joke. (laughs) (laughs) See you guys next time. Uncompelled duel, what the fuck, man? Hey everybody, Barry here with the postscript, just handling a couple housekeeping things here at the end of the episode. As always, we are on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Tumblr, and TikTok at Compelled Duel. We are also on TikTok at Compelled Duel Audios, where we post audio snippets from the show. We have lots of other cool stuff, including an official Spotify account and an official website. Those are linked on all of our social media profiles if you're interested in checking those out. If you're enjoying the podcast, we ask that you consider supporting us on our Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com slash compelled duel. Starting at just $2 a month, you get early access to all episodes, priority submissions for our weekly Q&A show, and at our higher tiers, you can get stuff like access to exclusive playlists and access to bonus content, or even a letter from your favorite character every month. If you're interested in supporting us in ways other than joining our Patreon, we ask that if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, that you drop us a rating and a review that helps us get promoted to a wider audience and grow our listener base. We do have a Q&A show every Monday that we host at 3pm PST live on our YouTube channel. If you search Compelled Duel on YouTube, you'll find us on there. We would love it if you guys would drop in, ask a couple questions, or just hang out. Our next episode is going to be going up on Friday, April 9th, or if you're a member of our Patreon, you can get your early access on Thursday, April 8th. Thank you guys so much, and as always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.